This episode contains themes of death, revenge, and murder, and listener discretion is advised. Beginner's Call. This is your beginner's call. Will all show beginners please make their way to the studio? Tonight's performance of Overstudies is about to begin. We've done something a little bit different this week, haven't we? Have we? We've seen a show that we knew absolutely nothing about and a genre we knew absolutely nothing about. Yeah, that that is different for us. It's all about Death Note, the musical. Yes, I'm so excited to talk about this because, like I said, we knew nothing. <laughs> very Quite much, literally. Yeah, very much one of my unexpected highlights of the year, actually. So I'm really excited to get straight into this one. So just before we do that, my name's Charlie. Mine's Becky. We are the Overstudies. Thank you, as always, so much for joining us. If you want to get in touch with us, you can find us all over the internet. Yes, we are on Instagram at Overstudies blog. Also, you can find us on threads under the same username. And we are on Twitter, X, whatever it's called this week. You can find us at Overstudies as well. You can. You can also go to our website, www.overstudies.co.uk. Um, there you can also get in contact with us. We've got a cheeky little contact form. Uh, we've got reviews. We've got all sorts, all of our old past podcast episodes. You can also send us an email, stage at ofstudies.co.uk. If you want to share your thoughts, vibes, got something you want us to talk about, let us know. We'll get back to you at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see Death Note? Let us know your thoughts. Yes. I'm really interested to hear other people's thoughts on this show. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've heard a couple of my friends went to see it who are big into like anime also didn't know what to expect and have all come away university loving it. This really is something that's taken kind of like the whole fan space by storm. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I personally am not an anime fan. I'm not really sure where you sit in the anime manga sphere. I've just never really got into it. Like I've never not, and I don't mean got into it in terms of like I've tried it. It's not my thing. I've just not even tried it. Like I've done a few graphic novels and I've enjoyed some and I grew up with Final Fantasy as one of my favorite video games. So I probably should love manga, but I've just never read one or looked at one. So I I don't, I don't know where I stand, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because we went with someone who has seen the film, I believe. She's probably going to correct me on that when she listens to this episode, um, but has seen the film, but hasn't read the manga. So knew something about the story. But then obviously you have friends who are big fans of the story as well. Yeah, I've got friends who have, have read the manga, watched the film, you know, know the story of Death Note better than I ever will. And like I say, when, when they've come out and said they loved it, it's not a surprise that I loved it as well, to be honest. I think this is the exciting thing about this show. And this is why it's actually something that I'm very, very much looking forward to talking about is the fact that it seems to have captured the imagination of everyone. Like it doesn't matter the level of knowledge that you have. There's something in there that's going to, that's going to hook you. And I think that's a really exciting thing for a show that could potentially have been quite niche. Absolutely. But then I'm not that surprised by this. If we look at some of the creatives who are behind this show, 
it, it ticks all those boxes, to be honest, particularly our boxes. Yes. Um, it's got some of our favourite creatives at the moment doing things involved. So the music of Death Note, the musical by Frank Wildhorn, known for things like Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. Very talented. Very much so. Uh, director and choreographer for the performance, Nick Winston, very well-known name. Um, Justin Williams did the set design. Yes. Been behind many sets that we've loved, including, we've not spoken about it yet, it is coming soon. Stranger Things. Yeah, we'll just tease that one there. Very, very good set design across everything that I've seen. So as soon as I saw that name attached, I was like, right, I'm sold. Completely. Uh, lighting from Ben Cracknell, known for things like Heathers. Um, incredibly good lighting designer there. And uh, we also had an associate direction and choreography from Alexandra Sarmiento. Yes. Who has done everything that we've loved <laughs> in the last couple of years, including... Because we've got to get the reference in, including that little show that you might not have heard of called 42 Balloons. I was wondering how long it would be before we got that in. We'll just get out of the way. Just getting in there straight away. Yeah, get out of the way. Those of other incredible um, creatives as well behind it. So lyrics from Jack Murphy, book by Ivan Mentrell, arrangements, orchestrations, Jason Howland. The list goes on and on. We're not going to read everybody out. We would, we would be, be here, here all day. day. <laughs> um, but yeah, there is some incredible talent behind Death Note. So yeah, not not surprised that I loved it. What is Death Note all about? I was gonna say, shall we start and explain the concept? Because yeah. like we said, we went in not knowing the story, which for us is rare. Uh, usually at least one of us knows what's about to happen. But we had the very basic understanding. Yeah. It's rare that a show we go into, especially a show that's been around a while. So yeah. development of Death Note started way back in 2013. Um, in fact, well, probably be before that, because it sort of got its, um, you know, initial, it was announced in, in 2013, very late 2013 and had its first productions in 2015. So it would have been in development a bit before that as well. The production that we saw was at the Lyric Theatre. It also did two days at the West, uh, West End's Palladium Theatre, August and September 2023. And this was the first English language production. So originally it was put on in Japanese. It's had a couple of other adaptations as well, but this is the first time that it was in English. So just get that little bit out there. So it's a show that's been around for getting on for 10 years, but neither of us knew anything about it. We'd not heard anything from it. We hadn't, didn't know the concept, didn't know the storyline. That's unusual because even with things like Lyft, I knew a lot about it. Things like Stranger Things, Becky knew a lot about. Not with Death Note. Yeah. And I think that's why it was quite exciting going in because it was just diff, just new. Everything was new. Yes. And it's been a while since I've seen something like that where I have genuinely been like, anything could happen. I do love it when anything can happen though, because it was it keeps us on our toes as an audience. It's exactly. Like, what what what's coming next? And quite literally, anything could happen in this show. <laughs> anything could and indeed does happen. So I'm trying to think how to to describe it without giving too many spoilers away, because I suspect we've not seen the last of this. Whilst it was a short concert run, I I think we'll be seeing it back before too long. The show follows two late teenagers, one about to go to university, one a pop sensation. And they're mythical observers, guardians, words that perhaps don't quite do it justice, but equally perhaps go to where we're going. They're Shinigami. It's, it's so hard to discuss this without 
giving away the plot. Yeah. I mean, the, the some of the clue is in the name. So Death Note, the idea is that these teenagers come across notes where if they write down someone's name, they will die. Yeah. It's very pretty dark. Much, pretty much. And that's then kind of the premise is as is these teenagers using these notes to, in their eyes, change the world for good. But that's open to kind of the audience. It's a, the show as a whole is a very big statement on morality. Yes. And on when can doing the right thing actually turn into the wrong thing? Whose right is it to judge? If you yourself are wronged, do you get a say in how it gets put right, I think, is is a top level kind of pricey of, of the themes of the show. It's very much a character study of like playing God and the consequences of that. Is this doing the right thing? Is this a moral decision or is this revenge? Yes. And those kind of questions are repeatedly asked throughout the show. And I think that's why this show is quite interesting because it is, I think, possibly the darkest thing I've ever seen on a stage. You were never going to go and see a happy clappy show with, you know, a traditional musical theatre vibe when it's called Death Note. Yeah. Like, I know Heather's is dark, but you kind of, you know what you're signing up for with Heather's, to be fair. Just like you know what you're signing up for with Death Note. But even then, I wasn't prepared for how dark it was. Yeah. And that's, that's on us, actually. That, that's us actually being very in the dark. It, if you know what it's about, you're going to know how dark it is kind of thing. Like, I don't think that's necessarily a criticism of the show, of how dark it oh, is. absolutely not. I think it's the beauty of it in a really kind of twisted way. The beauty of it is how dark it is and mm. how unapologetic yeah. it is in that. It's not tried to soften how dark it gets. And I think that if it did try to do that, it would take away the point of the show. I 100%. think it's one of those, it's go hard or go home. Yeah. Realistically. And this show goes hard in every sense. Yes. <laughs> it's, so like I say, so the, the storyline follows these two late teens and who are played by two fantastic performers who we have raved about either on the podcast or in print for the overstudies in the past, to be fair. Yeah. An incredibly talented cast. So the lead character is called Light and was played by Joaquin Pedro Valdez. You may remember from things like Heather's the Musical. And a whole host of other amazing things, to be fair. And Venara. <laughs> and Lion King. Yeah. Lest we forget. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, and then the uh, light was played op playing opposite Misa, um, who was performed by Jessica Lee, who I saw in Miss Saigon in the revival earlier this year, was blown away by her, Kim. So actually getting to see her in something else and her role as Misa, fantastic. Like both of them, incredible. I think very interesting characters. And I think this is why it's... It's, it is such an interesting character study because we have Light who is so focused on morality and doing whatever is required to make the world a better place, very like for the greater good kind of thing. The greater good. Literally what I was thinking. Um, and then we have Misa who's like 
a pop star who has been wronged in her life. It's not really a spoiler because it's quite, it's quite integral to the plot, but her family was murdered essentially by a stalker when she was young and she's still got this like pop persona and she kind of is enticed by that revenge but her hers is very much a revenge driven she cares about her own interests yeah and not in a almost narcissistic way just to know i have been wronged here i want to get my own back on the yeah. person who's done that and this is where the characters of light and misa really come together in terms of both contrasting but also being the same yeah because i would say that they're two sides of the same coin yeah we have one character who's so focused on doing the right thing and one character that's like well i have suffered so why shouldn't other people suffer too yeah definitely both of these characters then are being assisted, guided, overseen by their Shinigami. Yes. Mythical, otherworldly creatures. Godlike creatures almost. I think the best way to describe them is like guardian angels, but bad. But also not no guardian angels, but neutral. Yeah. Because they they themselves cannot take a side. Yeah. In there theory. Is, there is an entire mythology around Shinigami. They are all all knowing, all seeing, all, all powerful. But if they start putting reasons for their actions rather than just being randomly, they die. And that's not really a spoiler either because Shinigami also ex kind of exists the concept of outside of Death Note as well. It's a much bigger kind of Japanese culture, cultural um, yeah. uh, notion. The two Shinigami in the performance. Um, so we had the incredible George Maguire. I have never <laughs> laughed so much in my life <laughs> he is just very good at playing almost panto villain-esque but not it was like over the top but the right kind of over the top yeah so george is playing rook a very dark all in black the costuming the makeup design massive shout out there because it was like the person we were seeing the show with actually it was like the makeup is incredible. Yeah. Because looks nothing like their headshot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and then they were playing against Amy Atkinson as Rem. Amy Atkinson, obviously, we all know from Six. We all know Amy Atkinson, household name. Much more all, all dressed in white. Still incredible costuming, but massive contrast from Ruck's character. Yeah. An interesting, I think, is juxtaposition the right word? Yeah. Especially when you then consider that Rook is with Light and Rem is with Misa. It's kind of that good versus evil at face value. Yeah. What is it? It's very introspective in a lot of ways. And even then, it, when you see these two couples, and I just mean couples in a two, two sets people. of people rather than any more than that. But it's where you get these two couples and their own motivations individually, their own motivations as a duo, better word, and how that all works, but also how those can sometimes be at odds with each other, equally how they can be overlapping or assisting, how even 
between the groups, the dynamics can be very similar or very different. Or there's, a, again, comes back to the idea of, of right and wrong and to steal a line from a mu- another musical who lives, who dies, who tells their story. Like that whole thing is very kind of wrapped in the, the show f- from start to finish. It really is kind of like, an again, just an interesting dissection of like morality and control in a way control is absolutely the right word i think because that's where the notion of the death note comes because the death note itself has the power to end someone's life but the death note itself also holds power if that makes sense yeah because there are also rules around the death note yeah rules about what happens if you no longer have the death note and these are all things that also have to be remembered and understood and a weight almost on the shoulders of anybody who has it because it isn't just a case of someone's name is in the book and then they die you can essentially manipulate someone's actions up until the point of their death Yes. So there's so much more control than just who's alive and who's dead. You can literally list out the entire actions of a human being for an undisclosed amount of time, actually. Yeah. Um, Which is implied by the show that this actually, you could in theory lay out a whole year of someone's life up until the point where they then die. That adds so many more complexities to the concept. And again, just, you know, if you were, if you could manipulate someone's last year of their life, what would you get them to do? Yeah. And it, it comes back to that idea of morality and of motivations for doing things. It's just a, it's a very dark concept, but it was one that actually for me was executed very very well yes so we've spoken about kind of our lead four characters but there's a lead fifth character that's very important and integral and i don't know whether they would be the antagonist or the protagonist to be quite honest because it's almost that actually the antagonist is light in many respects yeah but it depends on how you, you who you ask and how you look at this show. So this final mythical character is L, and mythical is absolutely the right word, except they are very real and very human. Yes, an incredible mind, an incredible brain, very data driven. Yes, and I just want to say now, L, Dean John Wilson, the characterization, some of the best stuff I've ever seen on a stage. Just palm of my hand, like completely. I think one of the thing, the first things I said when I came out was L is now one of those like roles I w- roles I will never play, but like a role that I am like that is the pinnacle of yeah. characterization. That is fascinating to me, and it was just flawless. I I was captivated the entire time. Absolutely, and so L is basically the beacon of light. Which is ironic when uh, you consider that a character is literally called light. (laughs) Yeah. Um, L is there to uphold a moral code, should we say. 
Yes. In some respects. It's it's more complex than that. But I'm, again, I'm trying not to give too much away. I guess the best way I can see it, Elle is Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Because in theory, like, Elle works for the FBI mm. at the very basic level. But also is in control of the FBI at the same time. It's like a concept in itself. Yeah. (laughs) Elle is a fast... We we could do a podcast simply on the character of Elle, to be quite honest. Truly. It's so... Such a fascinating character. But they are effectively trying to restore normality to the world. If there is this person going around with a death note taking fate into their own hands fate big f and and everything you know think blood brothers-esque of fate is things written from the start of your life or is fate you know do we all have a path and a destiny that we're going towards or is it something that is entirely unpredictable l is the keeper of fate in terms of we don't know what's going to happen actions have consequences but it's for a greater being be it perhaps the shinigami to determine that Whereas light is the person making decisions that perhaps they're not allowed to make. The best way I can describe this, and it's going to be a very niche reference that I don't think you will get. And I think some listeners might get. There was a series of books when I was growing up, a series of novels um, about vampires. uh, The Cirque de Freak saga of Darren Sham. I was going to say very, very niche. And the whole, all 13 of these books deal with the idea of fate and destiny and how that happens. And is your, your distance kind of there? And is it, is it controlled or is it um, a separate thing? And it's almost like light is destiny and L is fate because they are two different things. And if you do, if you've not read the novels, you're not going to get it. But I can't think of a better way of describing it. And the, the reason it's a spoiler of the book. So if you are ever planning on reading these actually semi obscure novels from about twenty years ago, listen, tune out now briefly. But destiny was symbolised by a man called Mister Tiny, Mister Des Tiny, and he was the one trying to. I didn't say they were good. I mean, they are very good, but, and he was trying to swerve everything. He was the bad guy. He was the the one making all the bad stuff happen. And then fate was symbolized by other things and other people trying to just make stuff happen. And that I think is kind of what's going on here is that light is trying to manipulate and to maneuver things in the name of, be it revenge, be it, righteousness be it whatever whereas l is trying to go well in a roundabout way that's not for you to decide what you're doing actually is making you just as bad as the people that you're doing things to yeah very roundabout way of making my point i i totally get what you mean though and i think highlighting the difference between destiny and fate is actually crucial mm. to understanding this show because just the it's just got so many layers to it and the more i think about it the more i'm like oh this is this is what like- that means this is what that means and it's just so complex but also really accessible yeah that was that was the thing so the, the show is a bit like an onion you peel away <laughs> 
<laughs> and then you keep peeling away and there's just more and more and more and more. And, but I think you're absolutely right when you say that it's so accessible. We went in with no knowledge of what was going on. We don't do manga. You know, we've never, or I've certainly never read, like I've, I've looked at like the old panel, but I've never like seriously looked into it yet. I could understand straight away what was going on. The storytelling, the, the, the book is you're there straight away and I get what's going on. And there's lots of little references within the costuming, within the, the way the stage is and the show is set that links it into that, that kind of manga um, traditional setting that takes it back to it and keeps it firmly grounded in its roots. It's even little things like the program is actually read from right to left in the way that Japanese manga is. And I just think little touches like that, the creative team behind this show have thought about it so much and thought about all of those layers, but making sure that if you are completely new to this, and that was one of the things with the audience is there were clearly lots of manga fans in there, but there were also clearly lots of musical theater fans in there. And it was such an interesting crossover of people who some people knew what was going on in the musical side of things. Some people knew what was going on in the manga side of things. Some people didn't like us, didn't really have a clue full stop. And actually for a show to do that so well is a very, very good talent. Yeah. Because I think the interesting thing here is that something that has been so non-English, for lack of a better word, for its entire creation, then bringing it to London and not losing any of what makes it actually a very important show. Mm. And what makes it so unique? Yeah, by not trying to like make it too English. This is not an in, English like, show. Air, air quotes, but it's not an English show. But, yeah, in that respect, like it's I've, in English, but it's it's not. I think that some creative teams might have tried to make it more English. Yeah, and mm. it's a testament to the teams involved that they've not done that. Yeah. And I think maybe if this had come across 10 years ago, we might have seen that happen. Keeping everything about the show so grounded in its cultural roots. Yes. Is crucial to the success of this show. Completely. I I think you're absolutely right on that one. And and it is all the better for it. And actually, I'd kind of like to see the Japanese version. Oh, same. Like, I don't... I wouldn't have a, I mean, now I know what's going on. I'd know what's going on, but it'd be nice to actually hear the original lyrics and see how it works when it's not in a language that I can understand. I think the interesting thing actually on that subject is that um, Lucy, my housemate who came with us, she found out about this show because a small clip from the opening number where is the justice went viral on tiktok okay and interestingly it was the english version so that there is a recording out there somewhere there's a youtube playlist of the concept album excellent that's what i like to hear um but that went that did the rounds on tiktok i don't know when maybe a year or two ago and that's how she found out about the show so it's yeah it's, it's just interesting that while there is this other japanese version that drip feeding the songs seems to have caught the attention but i still i still would happily sit through the japanese version mm. because i kind i kind of want to see that more now yeah I, because I, i've i've got a taster and i'm like no i want to see it in its full 
original form. Yeah. I, yes, you're, you're absolutely right there. Let's move on to the music. Yes. Because the music is stunning. If you want to know what to expect, it's a rock opera. Yeah. It's an incredibly fantastic rock opera. And it's a big rock opera. Think your Jesus Christ superstars. Think your bat out of hells. It is big in its sound. And I love it. But it's also incredibly traditional in its use of motifs for characters. The way that that every each character has their own style, their own sort of chord progressions and stuff that gets used in every song. But it's also a show that's very, very keen on just reprising songs that we've already had and mixing them up slightly. And I love when stuff like that happens. We get Where Is The Justice four times. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that. And that's the perfect number of times to have Where Is The Justice. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. We get Hurricane twice, but then we get the motifs of Hurricane multiple more times whenever there is these big questions of morality, actually. Hurricane is probably a standout song for me. And I think it's bold because it comes straight, like pretty much straight away. One of the biggest show, uh, biggest numbers from the show is in the first like, 10, 15 minutes, yeah. which is, shocked me actually. I was like, oh, we're not, we're not saving this one. We're going straight in. But then you see what comes later on. And actually the way that that theme gets introduced, it, it has to come straight away. You have to have that number because everything else doesn't work without, without it. it. The rest of the music doesn't work. So Hurricane is Light's big song. Um, and then Where Is The Justice is everybody kind of has a go at doing mm. a bit of where is the justice it's kind of like the overarching theme for the whole song um but then we have l's songs things like the game begins and playing the game and that kind of stuff where they take they draw on the themes of hurricane and mix them up slightly to be opposing if that makes sense like hurricane is the look at this whirlwind I'm creating and then playing the game, uh, the game begins is like trying to then get into that hurricane and work out what's going on is the best way I can describe it. I would say that it's a, almost like a attempt at nature versus nurture. Yeah. In the sense that hurricane is very, a powerful, natural force of that's driving that motivation. Mm. Whereas any discussion of, well, basically any song that Elle sings is very calculated data manipulation, getting two plus two equals four. Yes. And I think that's a very clever choice of a very natural symbolism for someone who is essentially manipulating nature versus a calculated data, physical, computer-like. Mm thing which is like the opposite of natural yeah those those two choices are very very smart and i think just having those clashing against each other but also harmonizing with each other just is what makes the music work so well yeah the music is one of the biggest oh, a lot of this show has a lot of strengths but the music is one of the biggest strengths to it and then pair that with the staging and stuff so this was a concert version of Death Note, Death Note the musical in concert. We've seen enough stage concerts to know that it was going to be more at the staged end, but I wouldn't call this a concert, to be quite honest. It was fully staged, like fully staged. 
the only way that I would call this as a concert is the fact that I feel like dialogue was missing is my yeah. only thing. There were parts where there's a part, it's minor spoiler kind of, where one of the songs towards the end of the show, L and Light are now friends and it's referencing, oh, you know, you're my friend now. And I was kind of like, oh, are they they're friends? Like when did when did they get close enough to be friends? Yeah. And that is the only bits that character development through dialogue was the only thing that was missing. Take that away, like take that away the rest of it. It was pretty much a fully staged production. Mm. It just felt like I had one or two scenes that weren't there, but that didn't take away from the enjoyment. Yeah. And that's, that's the point that I was making though, is that like with the music, which was fantastic, add in then the movement, the choreography, add in the use of levels and the use of lighting, the lighting design, incredibly clever as well. Lots, very delicate. So four out, very data driven, lots of green like lots of green flashes and stuff. Like think of that classic, like nineties style movie of the green noughts and ones going over screens like that, that kind of vibe. But then we'd have like, um, for Misa, the pop star, much more brightly colored, multicolored lighting, um, for light, lots of different things going on with the lighting there, depending on what's going on, like some red tones, but equally we'd get some more blue tones. It was, just a lot of thought has gone into that. And I just thought that it helped to bring everything to life as well as the use of levels, the use of space, the use of distance. Um, very good. Tickled my production corner brain, which is why the whole thing has kind of had a production corner element weaved into it. it it's hard to separate out all the components. I think the lighting design filled in for those bits of dialogue that we were missing. Yeah. And I think that was what helped move those relationships along that are actually quite crucial to the story making sense. But I think that's, that's part of the beauty of it. It's again, essentially what we have seen is a taster yeah. of what is to come. Yeah. And I think that the fact that it's this good, this early on, I cannot wait to see what comes next. Like I said, there is no way that we have seen the last of Death Note, the musical in the West End. I think I have a new, not favorite as in number one favorite, but favorite in terms of like a number of shows that I adore. Mm. There's a new addition to the gang. Oh, that's exciting. And I really want to see what goes next with this. Yes. Like I would go and see it again in a heartbeat. I don't think that it will be long before we see anything more from this show. I think that it's come across at the right time. The West End needs something fresh and different. And this could be that answer. And I think that if it doesn't get a residency somewhere, I would be deeply, deeply surprised. Like I say, we'd had no idea what to expect and went, went on a little bit of intrigue, but also around some of the casting and some of the, the creatives because safe, safe hands all round. Mm -hmm. We've not been disappointed by any of these people before, but it was, every, it was so much better than I think I was expecting it 
to be. And even some of my friends who've seen it, who have read the manga, like one of my friends was like, I was expecting it to be one of the most cringiest things I've ever seen. And they've come out and gone, it was incredible. It was everything it needed to be and more. And, and these are people who aren't really fans of musicals. They go and see a musical, but they're not musical fans. And if it's bringing in that brand new audience to the medium, like Becky says, it's the sort of thing that we need to shake up the West End and there is a space for. We're big fans of new theatre, big supporters of new theatre. That includes stuff like this, that OK has got a very established team behind it, but is still a new show and a new style of show. And maybe there'll be many more. I really hope so, mm. because I think we need it. Mm. Let's. I mean, I'm all for anything new. Let's try it all out. Yeah. And I think a lot of the musicals that we like as well have, shall we say, non-traditional themes. Yeah. You have your traditional musicals that are very much like boy meets girl, boy and girl fall in love. They're all happy at the end. Is the structure of 90% of the shows that are in the West End yeah. right now in some some form. We're big fans of musicals that don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> shall we say? Yeah. <laughs> we love things that are not a very cliche classic trope and I think that it's really becoming clear that more people want that as well and I think anything that that is just different is great. (laughs) I think it's very defining of millennials and us as a collective Mm. And we were having a discussion about this off air earlier today, actually, in the context of another show. We're not going to go into that because spoilers, but maybe there is a deeper discussion in this if we cycle back to the millennial musical as such. But I think we as a collective have experienced so much in a relatively short space of time that a lot of previous generations haven't. A lot of world events, a lot of global events, things like the pandemic, things like topically for you know this week was the anniversary of 9-11 there's there's lots of being big events like that that have shaped the world for years to come we want things that are actually a bit darker not necessarily because we're all depressed i mean i certainly am yeah but (laughs) but actually because it's much more relevant to the world that we live in and to the experiences that we've had as a as a collective group it hasn't all been plain. And I'm not saying as well that generations before or after have had it all plain sailing either. This isn't a case of one group has had it any darker, but certainly for our group, one of the reasons why a lot of us bond together as millennials is through that shared collective bad stuff, which isn't a good thing, mm. but it explains why actually sometimes we want quite a dark show, especially I think something that does deal so deeply with morality. I think we have a fascination with dissecting the human psyche. This is just your topic all the time at the moment because... No, but it is true. This is a... We like to look at the motivations and psychology behind things a lot. I wouldn't say a lot more, but like it is something that's so rooted in not only theatre produced by millennials for millennials but in the books that are being written in the tv shows that are being produced right now we're very much in a dissection of the human form and i think death note does that so well and that makes sense why it's resonating with 
so many people of our age as well. Yeah, we we touched on the idea of morality and the human psyche in the Groundhog Day episode last time. Yeah. You, you had a very similar conversation. Obviously, that predates Death Note by a long time in terms of the source material. But it is very... There are similarities, actually, in what's the right thing to do. And, and go and listen to the Groundhog Day episode before that. But, you know, you think about some of the things that Phil Connors was doing in his repeating days. It's not a million miles away from what Light is doing, except there's, that's irreversible. Yeah. It's, there's very, it's very interesting to see the shows that are staging at the moment and doing well and getting those, those positive reviews. And it, it wouldn't, it would be remiss of me as a, you know, to be honest about stuff. It's also very interesting to see which shows are closing early. Yeah. I'll, I'll leave it at that, but <laughs> it, it, West End is in a very interesting state of flux at the moment. We've said this before on the podcast, back when we did radio, we are very much in like a new golden age of musical theatre. Absolutely. And I think that that isn't just musicals that are being written now it's musicals that are topical now yeah and i think that in the same way sometimes people write songs and it takes five or six years before people fully appreciate them death note in a similar situation if it if this had come over straight away 10 years ago i don't think people would have appreciated it to the same level that we do now because we have so our expectations are higher we want more and we want different and this is different in every aspect of the word like the music style while it shows similarities to those big rock operas it's very uniquely japanese as well yes and the subject matter very uniquely japanese you know in a lot of um japanese media in general a lot of discussion of death and the concept of death in general so there's already two of the two of the main things of this show are so uniquely different to what writers from the uk would typically write about and I think that we're just ready for that. We're yeah. ready for those new voices and ready for those different perspectives. And this is what I say is that new musicals and that kind of thing is such a broad statement. And this falls, I mean, it is a new musical in many respects, but it's very new to the West End. Whilst it isn't necessarily a new musical in that it's 10 years old, actually it's new to the West End. Yeah. And I think that's something that also some people sometimes forget. We were talking about this today as well, actually, um, is that theatre across the world is very different in every culture, in every space, even just compare Broadway and the West End, completely different in in every single way in terms of shows that do well, shows that don't do well, working practices, ways of stuff evolving, ways of stuff happening, what is considered a new show, what isn't. And we need to get away from this notion that new theater is only what is being written now or what is only being written by a graduate or what is only being written that's about a recent event or you know anything like that actually new theater could be 
more Death Note style shows that have actually been around for donkey's years, but have just never got a foothold on the West End before. Absolutely. I think you've summed that up perfectly. I think that's Death Note all covered off. Yeah. I don't want to dive too much further into it simply because I feel like we're going to do a follow-up episode when this inevitably reappears. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we do. This has been pretty much just a bit of like a, a, our immediate thoughts on it without wanting to go into too much detail because I don't want to give spoilers away and I think it's going to be coming back. It's one of those shows that I've just, I've got a feeling about and obviously we try and avoid spoilers anyway, but when we get that feeling like doubly so. Yeah. So yeah, I think we're, we're going to draw this one to a close for now, but potentially at some point in the future, there might be a part two. Like I say, there is a YouTube playlist of English language versions of the songs. I don't know how official it is, but it's there. I'm not going to tell you how to find it. It wasn't that hard. Um, <laughs> if you don't want to go and check some of it out, absolutely do. And if you're listening to this because it's just been announced for a revival, so you've been searching Death Note, run, run and get the tickets. Do not wait because you will not be disappointed. Absolutely. And it will literally be a run and get those tickets because I think they will sell out instantly. The Palladium run, the first couple of nights sold out instantly like that. And then even Lyric run sold out like that as well. I mean, well. we barely had time to think about it. It was a case of we're buying these tickets, whatever, wherever we end up, yeah. we've just got to get them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, that's Death Note. If you saw the show, want to share your thoughts, um, we would actually genuinely love to hear them because I think it's been fascinating hearing such a varied range of opinions, not in terms of quality, but in terms of how people have found the show. Um, like literally how they've approached it, not how they found it as in if it was good or bad. Um, I thought you meant how you found it in terms of did they hear about it on X? Did they hear about it in the local newspaper? Was it word of mouth? How did you find us? I mean, both apply. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, our question of the week this week, as tempting as it was to say, who would you write a death note for? Becky. <laughs> I, joke, I joke. Rude. I joke. Um, I, I, we did decide that was a bit too dark. So our question of the week is, is how did you find your death note experience? Yes. So we would love to hear from you on that one. Get involved on social media as well. Let us know your thoughts, comments, email us stage at overstudies.co.uk. You can also find us on social media. We are on Instagram and threads at overstudies blog, or you can find us on Twitter slash X slash whatever um, at overstudies. I'm going to keep plugging it until it actually falls apart. So come chat to us on there. Come chat to you. On, yeah. on there I don't <laughs> I don't do that platform anymore please do like subscribe and share because it brings more people into the overstudies world we we always love new listeners new faces it makes us very happy when our follower count goes up by yes. one it's not important it's just like makes us be oh you know people actually listen so please keep doing that uh, remember our subscribers always get our podcast first Yes. So make sure you subscribe, get, have those notifications turned on um, and you'll just get to hear everything before anyone else. Indeed. You can find all of our past episodes as well, wherever you get your podcasts. So do go back and give those a listen as well.
But for now, it's bye from me, Becky. It's goodbye from me, Charlie. And we'll see you next time. Bye.